Welcome to the Nifty Podcast, presented by Partyfish Media, a showcase of the best emerging filmmakers under the age of 25 from all over the world. Film starts here at the virtual Nifty 2020 from Seattle, Washington. My name is Amy Williams, and I'm the program director and lead programmer at Nifty. I'm very excited to be speaking to our guest today. Tona, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your film? Yeah, um, my name is uh, Tono Tia, and I am a 25-year-old director from um, Copenhagen, and I made Baby Dyke. It finished when I was 24, and um, it's my third film at Nifty. Um, would you like me to talk about what the film is about and stuff? Sure, go for it. I would love to you know, hear a little bit about what... Baby Dyke is about, yeah. and then kind of the inspiration behind the story. Yeah, 100%. Um, Baby Dyke is like a yeah, kind of rough, rowdy, coming-of-age, first-love sibling dynamic story, all told like over the course of one night in um, the Copenhagen queer scene. And it's a 16-year-old, and it's her first night out at a queer techno party where she talked her really cool older sister into uh, taking her along because she wanted to get her first girlfriend back and that goes very 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 wrong um and I think it was it's definitely inspired by like my wanting to show uh some of my experience in the queer scene and almost all the actors that is to say basically all the actors I think there are a few exceptions are from the queer community and I just wanted to kind of show the world that I was having around me as a queer person and a person who started coming at the queer scene in Copenhagen when I was very young, probably like 15. Um, so it was, it was it, the main character's experience kind of mirrors my own experience, not directly, but kind of. Um, and the film, uh, we were really lucky to be selected to Berlinale, uh, which was amazing. And then the film has just been traveling around the world and I think being at Nifty was really awesome. We were very excited to see another submission come through from you when we were programming yeah. last year. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so you you co-wrote this film, right? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about um, what it was like working with a writer? I know that you um, knew you wanted to tell a story like this, but didn't necessarily like have it all fleshed out. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you found your writer and then just like what that collaboration process was like? Yeah, 100%. Um, well, I had already written a script-ish uh, <laughs> that I had sent to the Danish Film Workshop for like trying to get funding for a short film. Uh, and the script was just like, I think it was three pages and just uh, these uh, like lesbians fighting in a 7-Eleven and one got really angry at this homophobic guy and the other ones were like not wanting to talk about it. And it was kind of this inter-conflict thing in the queer scene. But it was just that one scene. And I, I sent that in because <laughs> I think I was I was feeling pretty confident about myself. And then I was at a film festival with my other film that was also at Nifty called Lulu IRL or Lulu's Faster Gang. And um, I was feeling pretty good about myself. And then the consultant from the film workshop was also at the festival. So asked me to meet up with him at the film workshop on a, at the festival. I mean, and then he told me that my screenplay was very bad and that it was not a real story and that I had a month to find a writer. 
um, to help me develop the story or I would not get funding. But then I was at a film festival, uh, so I was surrounded by a lot of film people. And then I was hanging out with my uh, pretty good friend from Station Next, Ida, who's a writer. And I just asked her, because um, she's awesome, and we were at the festival together. And then we spent, she asked me, what do you want to tell in the story? And I was like, I don't know, I just want to <laughs> show the Danish lesbians in a film or something very dumb and vague. And she was, she just took like a deep breath and was like, okay, let's begin from the beginning. And then we kind of, because I had a feeling of kind of what the story was, but I didn't have the story at all. So we just spent a month um, just developing and working and going for walks and writing. And we basically wrote the script in that month. Uh, and then we got the funding, so that was awesome. Very small budget still, but it was great. <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of my first experience working with a writer. You mentioned in your director's statement how important mm-hmm. it was for you to kind of authentically represent the community that you had been a part of for so many years, um, and that yeah. was an integral part of your life. Um, can you tell us a little bit just more about that, and then... Um, if there's anything that you learned while making this film that you um, know you're going to take with you into any future projects? Well, I was really, really happy uh, by the support that I got from the queer community making the film because uh, so many people showed up, for example, for the techno party that we held, which was a real techno party. Uh, And a lot of the people were non-actors in the kitchen scene, for example, And I was really just delighted and surprised by how much people were willing to give and come around in the middle of the night and be an extra in a shot or something. Um, But I think the queer community is also really used to being very badly represented. So there's also a defensiveness whenever anyone tries. So I I definitely had uh, like a skeptical energy from some people at the premiere, but people were happy about the film. But yeah, I think we're we're just so used to being badly and poorly represented. Yeah, what have I learned? Hmm, I don't know, maybe the importance of casting, but I feel like I already kind of knew that. And I guess, well, one thing I did learn was I was I was pretty scared when I was making the film of, uh, because I have so much loyalty to the queer scene and I, I was kind of scared that I would offend them somehow or that people would take it as like, because the film's about bullying and social pressure, that all queers are like that. But what I learned is the only people who draw that conclusion from the film is like a couple of straight male journalists I've spoken to, but no no queer people that have seen the film have reacted like that. And I was, I was kind of, I didn't even know if it would have a life at queer festivals because I thought maybe people would not like the film and the way it, it showed but it's been to so many queer festivals and we also won uh, all genders, all lifestyle and outfest. So that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to break. I'm just saying it was, it was embraced by queer audiences. I think. I think that that's, that's really, really great to hear. You did mention casting, um, which I think is a great segue into my next question. I would love to hear a little mm-hmm. bit about how you found your actors, but more so, um, yeah. kind of what you envisioned for your characters before you went into the casting process and then what it was like to mm. to fill those roles. Yeah, well, I definitely wanted a strong sibling dynamic. So I was I was having a lot of 
a lot of people in and I, I kind of casted everyone for every role of the ex-girlfriend and the big sister and the little sister and just did like try to like match people and find and I, I knew pretty early on that Anna was going to be playing Frill because I could just sense from the moment I spoke to her on Skype we did like Skype castings in the beginning um that it was her and I I just randomly found her because her friend showed up to the casting and didn't really want to go alone <laughs> and I I had just written on a Facebook site for lesbians in Denmark if anyone wanted to come to the casting um and I, I just kind of casted everyone for every role and tried to find a match and then I think Levy and Anna they just had such an obvious sibling like chemistry from the beginning I think Anna was kind of living out in the country a little more and didn't really know anyone in the queer scene and was 16. And Levy was kind of one of the cool kids of the Copenhagen queer scene that I knew. And and I just thought Levy was really cool, I could sense. Um, and they they just clicked very, very... There was, like, I think a lot of love and support between the two. And I, I think they saw each other in each other. and it, But they could also be very like sibling like and I, I just I really wanted to just use that in the film so it was a very easy choice that almost feels like a parallel to the characters themselves that's super interesting yeah, to hear exactly exactly it's like not very long after we made the film like Levy has the interesting chopped eyebrow thing going and then like not very long after the film I just met Anna on the street and she had like the same chopped eyebrow thing and I was like great <laughs> just reality matching (laughs) yeah that's amazing I love that um so Mm. Anna hadn't really acted previously oh never and no real interesting in acting actually she jumped out of the project after I asked her to come for the second audition uh she was like nah I don't really want to do this anyway (laughs) and I, I talked to her and I I asked her and talked to her about like her feelings and obviously it was very much the sex scene that was intimidating as hell and the stunt scene um, when you're a 16-year-old. Yeah, but I, I really, I, I really, really, really tried um, to make it as nice an experience as possible for the actors. And I think, um, yeah, they all, they all felt very fine about it and very safe. I think it's, it's really fun to hear that that was kind of Anna's first experience acting because she's incredible yeah. like the performances yeah, right? from the entire film are incredible thank um, you so that's that's wonderful I do want to talk about the stunt I just got it now um a little bit more yeah. about that push um was yeah. that like a one and done type thing like you guys had to do it and get it done and just like <laughs> see how it went or oh, what, yes. how, what was the process like yeah, exactly. It was like that. We actually did it as a second unit because we didn't feel prepared to do it safely when we were initially making the film. We we where everything was kind of quick and we had to make this big techno party and we were focused on so many things and we all kind of felt that we weren't able to do this in a way that we all felt safe about. So we kind of pushed that scene. Um and then I got a concussion. And then we actually ended up shooting that scene like more than six months later. Um, But it was a very big stunt scene and I'd never worked with that. Like it was, it was actually kind of lucky that we even were able to shoot it because we found out we needed a stunt diver to be inside the water in case um, Levy started cramping or something. We needed someone in the water and obviously we couldn't afford that. Um, 
But then I found out that my mother's uh, husband's brother was actually a part-time like stunt diver. <laughs> and then we asked him and he did it for free. So yeah, we had a stunt guy and a stunt diver. But Anna could only, we could only do the stunt once. And Anna was really, really nervous, much more nervous than Levi, um, because she had to push, push them into the water. I love doing these interviews because I just get to hear <laughs> how crafty people get with like their, their low budget, got to make it happen. How do we pull it yeah. off? Little crafty, <laughs> little things. They're just the most interesting to hear about. Um, yeah. And I thanks. think uh, with kind of that thread, we should talk about how you shot that techno party because yeah. <laughs> that was a whole experience in itself. Can you talk a little bit about uh, shooting awesome. that? I wish you could experience it in surround sound. Uh, it's it's really, really interesting. Um, well, we, we shot it. We, we had a real techno party. Uh, we put out like a notice on social media and we're like, there's free beers and we rented this techno club and we had a real DJ and we're going to be shooting some stuff. And then there was just like actual drunk queer people. And some people didn't even know we were shooting a film. There was this guy who kept kind of hitting on me and being like, do you come here often? And I was like in front of the monitor. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was it was very rowdy. And I uh, we had to recreate the whole um, audio, obviously, in post because it was shut uh, while like techno was playing. And I had to like um, direct the actors with like weird motions of my arms that meant another take or something. And it was, we shot everything on the club and outside the club, I think almost in one day. So we were shooting from pretty early to four o'clock in the night. Yeah, you you can't do that now. (laughs) Now I I work by real rules where actors aren't allowed to work um, that many hours. Yeah. yeah, it's more that that student filmmaking craftiness. So how do yeah. you how do you navigate something like that? Did you like how did you prepare honestly for for that kind of shoot? <laughs> I mean, I was just hoping someone would show up. I was just really really hoping someone would show up. I was very very nervous and not really. I mean, everything when we made Baby Dive was just very very spontaneous and very um, quick. Like uh, some of the actors I pulled in on the day of the shoot. Uh, and some of them just didn't show up and we're like, okay, well, who's going <laughs> to play this part now <laughs> and stuff. Um, so I think we were just hoping people would show up. Yeah. And we also, we, we really tried to in the audio make it seem like there's even more people than there actually were. Yeah. But a lot of people showed up. It was awesome. <laughs> you, you also worked with a real techno DJ, right? To score yeah. that part of the film. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about like, how you found each other and, and how that, what that process was like? Yeah, I mean, she's amazing. She's called Neria Janikaite. And um, I'm pretty sure she's from Lithuania, I think. Um, Well, I was just on SoundCloud. I asked my friend who knows a lot of techno DJs and I was just, she gave me like 20 names and I was just listening through them on SoundCloud and she just had such a raw industrial sound. Uh, and then it turns out that she was actually a resident DJ at the place where we shut the techno party thing. So it was, it just felt even more authentic and in the in the spirit of the film. And I, I just want I just told her I wanted something aggressive, and she was like, "Aggressive, I could give you aggressive." And I was like, "Cool." <laughs> that was a really awesome experience. That was her first film score, also. Nice. Yeah. Uh, 
So there's a very kind of like specific tone and style at work in the visuals of Baby Dyke. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering kind of like who or what are some of your artistic inspirations, both for this film, but just in general? Mm. Well, I think um, one person I always have to name because that was kind of where filmmaking began for me. And still my biggest inspiration is a British director called Andrea Arnold. Um and the way she works with her DP, who's called Robbie Ryan. And we were looking so much at her latest uh, feature called American Honey um, and the way that they shot that. Uh, and also specifically for this film, we were looking a lot at, um, not to in, in any way compare, it's a completely different film, but Son of Soul and the way that they're just always on the main character and this kind of cramped frame and telling the rest of the story in the in the sound. But yeah, we were definitely definitely inspired by Andrea Arnold and just her amazing style and like she's it's very, very sensual and very rough at the same time. And you feel so in the head of the character. So we were just we got we got extremely nerdy with just looking at exactly how it was shot and I think I owe some credit for some ideas. Yeah, but it was also just an amazing collaboration with um, Amy who shared it. Can you talk a little bit about the people that you work with on set? Your your crew, is it the first time you worked with like yeah. some of the primary roles or are you find your, yourself working with kind of some of the same people on your projects? Yeah. Well, it, it's the same guy who, um, Jakob, who made the sound as has, he's been making the sound on most of my projects up until then. Um, and it's the second collaboration with the editor and the producer. Uh, but the DP was a new collaboration. And I actually, I knew I'd gotten the funding for the film and I was looking for a DP and I was at a party and then I met Emil and he said he was a DP and he started talking. I started talking about this Danish film called Pusher that I don't know if you've seen. It's like a pretty big 90s action film. Mm-hmm. And he was just so into it and I was so into it. And then, I realized as I was having like this conversation with him that I was looking for a DP and I was like, Hey, uh, do you want to like talk about my new film? Uh, yeah. And it was just such an amazing collaboration. We really have very much the same taste and he's just uh, really incredible. So how did you kind of get interested in filmmaking in the first place? Um, good question. My, my girlfriend actually asked me this the other day and I was like, damn, when did it start? Cause it, it feels like, I mean, I, I kind of made my first short films when I was 10 and I think I, I think I had, I had a film club with my friend when I was very young and we saw Stanley Kubrick's 2001. And I think I must've been like 11 or something. And it was like the first time I saw an art film and I was just so mind blown. And then I just started like, gnawing my way through my dad's dvd collection and just became extremely obsessed <laughs> and then i i started going to station next when i was 15 yeah and then i got into like real film school when i was 21 can you talk a little bit about station next and and just what that experience was like for you as a young filmmaker yeah Oh my God, it was just like a paradise. It felt unreally amazing. <laughs> I was just living there the whole time also because I wasn't really uh, liking going to school very much. Um, so I Station Mixed was, was just like the highlight of my week and I spent all my time there and in the holidays. I was just making films with their equipment and it just, when someone told me about it, I was like, that sounds too good to be true. 
and it was just an extremely formative three years also because I, I really didn't like school so it was kind of the only place where I felt fine I started working um, for Nifty a couple of years back, and in my first yeah. festival, I learned about like the the Nifty Station Next uh, partnership and how they would have filmmakers yeah. um, come over and join us at the festival. And I was just yeah. so jealous. Like we, I didn't have anything like that growing up, and I think uh, that <laughs> that so is amazing. an incredible thing. I'm very yeah. Very it was. I actually went to Nifty um, with one of my my films from Station Next, and it was just such an amazing experience. Speaking of going to festivals, how has your virtual festival circuit experience been <laughs> this year? Um, I mean, I'm. It's weird because I've never had a film that's been a festival hit like Baby Dyke. I mean, it's not to say it was a hit hit, but it's been like to quite a lot of festivals, and I've never experienced that before. Um, but obviously I haven't been able to go, but I already knew that before COVID I wouldn't be able to go because I'm, I've been working on my graduation film all year. Um, and I think I just had such an amazing time at Berlin. I just was there for 10 days and partied and had these amazing screenings. And it was like literally right before the world shut down. Um, and I, I think I'm just... I knew already that I wouldn't be able to follow the film around. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to make the most of this experience. So it hasn't been as disappointing for me as it probably has been for a lot of filmmakers. I've just been grateful to be able to talk to people online and through virtual Q&As and stuff. It sounds, it sounds a little bit like a blessing to be able to, to be a part of some of these events and festivals. Yeah. The world shifts yeah. virtual. Um, yeah, otherwise I just wouldn't have been able to do it, I think. I sat down to kind of like prep and think about how I wanted, like what I wanted to ask you and all of that um, <laughs> for this interview. And I was just thinking like everything, I like, I don't have questions. I just want to like tell her how incredible every aspect of her film is. It's like how oh. I, <laughs> all right, let's talk about the dynamic between the sisters and just like that sisterly love, despite mm. the like, uh, how much they go after each other throughout it is just like really pulled that off wow what a welcoming and beautiful like queer space that you do not get to see in film enough but at the same time you really nailed the like what it feels like to be 16 and uncomfortable and feel out of place in it so like to wrap all of this up I <laughs> thank you so much you, your film is incredible Thoroughly enjoyed oh. watching it, and I really, really recommend everybody at home check it out. Um, it's online. It's available. It's it's really, really incredible film. Um, so to kind of wrap up this little interview, yeah. I would just love to know what's next for you. Can you like you mentioned a graduation film? Can you tell us anything yeah. about that? Kind of what you're working on after the graduation film? Yeah, a hundred percent. Thank you so much. I'm very, very flattered. Um, well, I just finished my new film, which is called Intrusions. Um, and it's a super personal film for me. And it's about a young girl who struggles with OCD and like falling in love and having that and wanting to keep it a secret, but not being able to and being ashamed. And um, yeah, I just wanted to portray that in a more authentic way and also kind of from the inside. And I think that's a it's a thing that's only really, oh no, I'm, I don't know all films, obviously, but I've only seen portrayed in this really cliche way. Um, so it's it's a love story and it's a story about mental illness. 
Yeah, and I'm actually working with Anna again. She plays the love interest <laughs> in the film. Nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, finally, Tona, where can people find yeah. you? Well, I don't really have, I, I have an Instagram called Tono Tien, where I'll, I'll, I just swap to writing on it in English so people can understand and I'll be sharing news about future projects and where you can see films and stuff. Perfect. Well, yeah. Um, thank you so much for taking the time yeah. to chat with me today. I know it's very thank late. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> thank um, you so much for programming the film. Oh, I would program it over and over again. It's truly, <laughs> really, really great. Um, oh, and thank you. <laughs> thank you, everybody at home, for listening. Um, for more information on Nifty, the talented youth, and more emerging filmmakers, check out nifty.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at NFFTY or on Instagram at Nifty Film. For more podcasts from Party Fish Media, search Party Fish Media wherever you listen to podcasts or follow us on social media at Party Fish Media. Party Fish Media Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.